Hello, everybody. I'm Michael Rand. Yes, you are still in the right place. Yes, this is Daily Delivery. Yes, this is episode number 500 of the show. It started a little less than two years ago. And to mark the occasion, we're always looking to evolve, improve, just like the Vikings are. And we'll get to them in a little bit. Um, decided to change up the music. A few of you have said over the years, hey, um, you know, would love to, to hear a new song at the beginning. That was, you know, something I picked at the beginning. Enjoyed it, but maybe it's run its course. Time to try something new. So Matt Gilmer, colleague of mine at the Star Tribune, wrote um, just a new intro and a new outro for the show. Going to give it a spin here. I like it. <clears throat> I think that'll be the song for quite some time now. But uh, again, just something new, something try, trying some different things here with the show as we move towards our third year and beyond. So hope you uh, hope you like that. Welcome all feedback and all all things like this. I'll probably have a larger piece of feedback that I'll ask listeners for here in not too long but uh hey if you got if you want to weigh in on the song I would love to I would love to hear your thoughts on that and thank you all for listening and uh, making this a very popular show a very fun enjoyable part of my job and uh again yes thank you for listening um the show itself today should be a good one Marcus Fuller from the Star Tribune joins me here in just a few minutes to talk Gophers College men's basketball. They play Purdue tonight. Just felt like it was a good point to check in on Ben Johnson's team. Um, a lot more downs than ups this year as they tried to revamp this program. Had a good win over Ohio State not too long ago. Looked good in the first half against Illinois the night before things started to fall apart. So Marcus will share some perspectives on that um, as well as some, some bigger picture stuff in the world of college basketball. Also found some interesting numbers on wild goalie Philip Gustafson that I thought I would share at the end of the show as well. First, though, what did I miss? Kwesi Dofo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell gave their year-end news conference on Wednesday with the Vikings. And no offense to Kevin O'Connell, um, but we've heard from him a whole lot throughout the season. Um, he does a good job. I like Kevin O'Connell. I think he's well-spoken. I think his answers um, are Really are, are honest. Um, you know, all everybody who is in the information business is going to be guarded to a certain degree with that information. But I think O'Connell has been reasonably open with, you know, things like injuries, things like that along the way this season. So no offense to Kevin O'Connell, but I was not interested really in what Kevin O'Connell had to say because we've heard so much of him, his roster evaluation, his thoughts on this team throughout the course of the season. I was very interested to hear what Quasi Adolfo Mensa had to say because we have not heard from him in months I believe not since the TJ Hawkinson trade and before that I think it's before the start of the season so what did Quasi think of this year <clears throat> and more importantly what does Quasi think of the roster moving forward and so to get to that I want to play for you the five things that I thought were the most important things that Quasi Adolfo Mensa said uh, Vikings general manager said on Wednesday and probably, probably provide some context to them as well. It's kind of dangerous sometimes to try to contextualize too much because it, 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 at a certain point, it almost seems like you're putting words in someone's mouth. I hope I'm not going to do that. I hope what I'm doing is adding some some value to the things that he is saying and trying to try to put that into the bigger picture of what I think is the direction they are headed, and he is hinting that they are heading in 2023 and beyond. So the first thing I want to play for you is a clip from Quasi Adolfo Mensa, um, just kind of talking about the, uh, the, the, he used the term talent threshold a few times on Wednesday. And so here's kind of his thoughts going into the offseason on 
kind of where they are with their veteran core players and kind of how they are going to evaluate their talent and try to kind of evolve the roster. Let's start off by recognizing that those are great football players, great people, core foundational elements of our culture. We talk about culture meaning process and the way we do things, but it's also just the people, how they relate, how they show up and set a standard. And that group of people is going to be, you know, to your point, they were foundational in that element. So we've got to consider those things also in addition to the production uh, on the field. But really, at the end of the day, we're trying to meet a talent threshold, a way of playing, a vision for this team that's a championship standard. And how we get there will look different year in and year out. And But we'll consider all those things as we go forward. And I think that is going to be tricky to a certain degree to try to figure out, you know, how how to balance the, you know, the, whatever physical decline there might be in veteran players who are also leaders in the locker room, uh, you know, versus the intangibles they bring, the, you know, the skills they still do have, and, you know, the culture that is being set right now. Now, I think a lot of it will depend on what they think of how that culture gets set. Can it be set by different players, different years? Can that evolve? Does that necessarily have to be the same people every year setting the culture? And I think it was interesting that he did end with the idea of ultimately what's going to drive these decisions is talent over all else, and that that's going to be the thing that motivates them in their moves. So I think that piece is interesting as you think about you know a defense that certainly was a step slow at the end of the season, and a lot of these veterans making a lot of money, how that factors into to their plan going forward. It would not surprise me if they take an, an approach to this where, you know, it's not wholesale changes, but they look at certain positions, they say, you know what, we can get younger and cheaper here. The talent matters most here, and these are the decisions that we have to make. But again, I don't know exactly what they're going to do. Some of that will be dictated by the market, but I thought that was an interesting answer from Kwesi Adolfo Mensa. Okay, number two, the the second thing I thought that was important that he said, I uh, was talking about extensions, contract extensions, and some of the the, the options that they have if they do want to take more of an approach of keeping the band together after a 13-4 and four regular season? You know, every team's got those constraints. Um, and so at our disposal, like I said earlier, we first you start off with the players. We've got good players and good people, so you start there. And ultimately, we have a lot of um, tools at our disposal, you, you know, extensions, different things like that, where you can get under the cap and, and, and continue on. So we'll consider everything we have, and ultimately it'll be to fit our vision with the end goal in mind of meeting that talent threshold to win a championship. Now the danger, of course, in doing too many extensions is that you, the guy, you know, the guys that you're extending keep getting older and older. You might reach a point where you wish you hadn't done it, and then all of a sudden you've got a team that's rebuilding, even if you didn't want to do that. But he's, you know, they keep talking about this idea of a competitive rebuild. We talked about that a lot on Access Vikings on Wednesday. Whether that really is possible, or whether you have to go full force into competing or rebuilding, and if you get stuck in the middle, you're really not going to serve either one fully. I think they did a pretty good job of pulling that off in 2022, although I would say the competitive part was a lot more apparent than the rebuild part. They didn't do a ton to the roster in 2022 to turn it over, to rebuild it. Not a lot of the young players played, and we'll get to that in a minute. But um, it is possible to live in both worlds, but I would caution them that too many extensions, that's kind of what got them into this salary cap you know, difficulty in the first place. Guys have aged out. Guys have gotten into these third contracts. And if they keep doing that, keep kicking the can down the road with salary cap stuff, it is going to catch up to them at some point. And is it worth it, given what we think maybe is the ceiling of this team? And, of course, the third thing was a direct question about Kirk Cousins. You know, it's our expectation that he'll be our quarterback. I can't say exactly how that would look. Um, again, we have everything at our disposal. We'll consider all those things just like we will with everybody else on the roster. 
Now, that's fairly definitive, although it does leave a little wiggle room when you say you expect someone to be back. What's probably most interesting is him, you know, admitting that he doesn't quite know what how that's going to look. Cousins has one year left on that short-term extension he signed a year ago, and now they have to decide, is he their guy long-term? Is he their guy short-term? Is he their guy medium-term? Is he not their guy at all, and this is the offseason to trade him? I don't know what the answer is. I think it becomes harder to do that coming off of a 13-4 and four season, if you thought maybe at one point that a trade was the right maneuver. It kind of makes sense to me that now might still be the time to make a trade because Cousins, if he's not going to get an extension here, might be motivated to want to be part of a trade where a team would logically extend him and say they want him for the next three, four years instead of just playing this out this year and then having to be a free agent next year. I don't know. I don't know where his market would be more robust, whether you look at a quarterback market this year or next year. Not a great draft class this year for quarterbacks, so that could factor into it. But I think if you're looking at this logically, coming off a 13-4 and four year, listening to what Kevin O'Connell has said about Kirk Cousins, you would expect at least that he's back in 2023. And so maybe we can put that kind of notion in the back burner, at least until something else pops up. All right, the fourth thing was Quesito Fomenza talking about a rookie class that didn't produce a ton on the field in 2022. There's some guys that didn't get to play a lot, some for unfortunate reasons, injury, um, or others just, you know, had other people um, play in front of them. But when we talked about this year, Kevin and I, when we sat down, we talked about, you know, building bridges, building bridges from our young players from this year to, to next and so we got a lot of players' exposure. Brian Asimo obviously is a player like that who we got exposure but wasn't forced to come into the lineup and play right away, which we think is good for him development reasons. It seems like he's higher on this group than I might be, maybe taking the long view of them. And obviously, of course, injuries played a role in evaluating this. Lewis Seen was hurt. That was their first-round pick at safety. Andrew Booth Jr., one of their second-round picks, was hurt for most of the year. And Caleb Evans had concussion problems. He was showing some promise at corner, too. So you can't fully evaluate when you don't have all of the information. But um, if you're planning or projecting with these guys, that makes it even more difficult. And even if you like guys like Brian Asamoah, who he mentioned by name, you don't quite know what you're going to get next year. But he did talk about building bridges, the need for these guys to produce, which is obviously a key element of anything going forward. I just don't know if we really know that yet. Maybe this is hope more than anything he seems to be higher on projections on these players than I might be or my, I might know. So that's something to consider for their roster building and their overall philosophy in 2023. If they like these guys more than we know, that might make it easier for them to make some decisions on these veterans. That said, here's the last thing I thought was really interesting from Adolfo Mensa. This was more of a philosophical thing about challenges on the jobs, things he learned throughout the course of the season and a lot of it came down to the interpersonal dynamics and the difference between this job and others he's held in the past you know i came from a, a business where your your job is to not be emotional um, if you make emotional decisions you typically make bad decisions and so when you involve people uh it, it can it can make the job a lot tougher uh but I also think the people aspect of it, that's what culture is, and that's important. That's what led to all, a lot of these you know, the historic number of one-score games. Uh, and so that's probably been the hardest job, really adjusting to those things. And, you know, one of the last times I spoke to you, I was up here, and I think somebody told me my appearance was a little more dour than it normally is, and that was because that was two days of, you know, emotionally, you know, having having to tell people no, uh, having to say that, hey, your dream is stopped for today. And, and so that element of the job has been, uh, eye-opening to me. And that's interesting. It speaks to the whole idea of balancing talent and culture, 
how you make your decisions can't just be black and white. This is a different industry than the stock market, energy futures, things like that. You've got to take into account things that, uh, that, that aren't necessarily apparent on paper. That said, if you do make too many emotional, emotional decisions, even as a decision maker in a sport that has a lot of emotion, you are going to get yourself in some trouble sometimes. So how does he weigh all that? How does he think about all that in roster building? What I hope is that the Vikings don't get too swayed or too convinced by their 13-4 and record this past year. I feel like they have to make some hard decisions right now or it's going to catch up with them in the future and the present. How he navigates that this year, in particular this year, with a lot of these contracts, a lot of these things to, to sort out and settle will be very interesting and will co- probably define the next few years and will tell us a lot more about how this team will be run going forward. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Good to have Marcus Fuller back on Daily Delivery to talk college basketball. Um, Marcus, of course, covers the Gophers. He's got his popular basketball across Minnesota feature going again. Gophers have a big game Thursday against Purdue. Got their first Big Ten win not too long ago, a good road win at Ohio State. Things were looking up, Marcus, at that point, and maybe through the first half of that Illinois game, and then Illinois really asserted itself and kind of took control of that game. From from where you sit, it, from, from me, it looks like there is a little bit of sign of incremental progress here with this team, but that it's still going to be a while until we see, you know, anything that resembles, you know, more than just a team fighting to get out of the basement of the Big Ten. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I think it's the first time this year, right? Uh, so first first, nah, first we... for the Gophers in 2023. In 2023, <laughs> yes, definitely for definitely the first time in the calendar year, yes, yes, yes. So happy to 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 join you in 2023. Um, yeah, if you talk about progress with this team, you, you have to be relative uh, progress because you know we're not necessarily talking about wins. Um, you know they're one in five in the Big Ten, but you like you mentioned, they did get their first Big Ten win versus Ohio State last week. Uh, I would say that they were trending upward uh, as far as how competitive they were and the competitive the games were leading into that Ohio State game. And then, you know, they, they were leading Ohio State for most of that game. Uh, last week, Ohio State's kind of on a slide right now, but the Buckeyes still have a lot of talent. Um, and, you know, clearly Minnesota controlled that game. It was actually uh, a hot mic, uh, mic'd up game for Ben right. Johnson on Fox. So it was pretty neat to see the behind-the-scenes stuff uh, that that led them to that win. And, uh, you know, Dawson Garcia's 28 points, uh, some free throw shooting down the stretch, helped them pull that one out. Uh, um, so, you know, the, the Gophers definitely want to bottle that up um, and try to use that uh, as confidence boost the rest of the Big Ten season. Uh, but it was a little, a little bit of a letdown in their last game versus Illinois. Yeah, is it is it inconsistency at this point? Is it just the talent level hasn't risen to that point? Youth, how do we? What do you think is the thing they need to transcend to make you know more of these games more competitive and to ultimately win more of these games? Yeah, I think uh, just the consistent play 
um, for the Gophers really was starting uh, with the Big Ten play resuming when they played Wisconsin in early in early January. It was a three point loss uh, on the on the road, uh, but I thought clearly they're more competitive than their first two Big Ten games. Uh, it was the last game versus Purdue on the road and versus Michigan. Both those games they're down by twenty plus in the second half. Uh, so Wisconsin was an improvement uh, in being competitive. The tough part about that loss was that they had twenty turnovers versus Wisconsin, which uh, with that slow of a pace, it's like having 40 turnovers versus Illinois or any other team, and they still only lost by three. <laughs> so that was a you know it was a moral victory <laughs> right. there, uh, but also bittersweet with the turnovers. They turned around and they limited turnovers versus Nebraska at home, but they still lost that one in overtime. You know, and that one again was another moral victory in that it was more competitive. But it's Nebraska, an improved Nebraska team. But also a team that, uh, you know, you look at your schedule and you, you're looking at some wins and playing them at home uh, would, would be one that you'd, you'd want. And it was a decent crowd. Uh, now, the, the Ohio State game, definitely, uh, you know, one to, to remember as far as confidence boost for the rest of the Big Ten season. It was the first Big Ten win. Not only that, they just don't win at Ohio State very often. Dawson Garcia had 28. Um, they hit some free throws down the stretch. First, they missed free throws, and then they finally hit a, a few. Um, yeah, so I had to yes. mention that. And, uh, <laughs> yes. you know, Ohio State's been struggling lately, uh, but still uh, a tough place to play, a, a very talented team. And, you know, them turning around and losing at Illinois or versus Illinois at home uh, when they let the second half get away from them, you know, was a, definitely a setback because this team had been playing more competitive and better basketball in the new year, uh, in their la in their previous, uh, three big 10 games. Yeah. And that's, you know, you're right. I think it has been a lot more competitive lately. I got to ask you about the free throws too, cause you mentioned them and I had that written down. That's got to drive Ben Johnson and, and, you know, and people who watch the games crazy. What are they, they were like 59% um, on the season or somewhere around there. Like I just, I'm trying to comprehend how a team can be that bad collectively at the free throw line. Well, it's about who's shooting them, obviously. Um, they're, I, I think they're top free throw shooter as far as attempts. Um, if not n number one, at least number two, is Talon Cooper, their point guard, who shoots below uh, or around 50% um, from three and 50% from, from the free throw line. I think he actually shoots better from the three-point line than he does from the free throw line, which is bizarre. Can't it's scratching amazing, my yeah. head. But it does show you that, you know, how mental it is for – a free throw shooter when you're sitting there or you're standing there and you got no one guarding you and the fans are screaming at you and, and you know that you've been struggling, it really gets in your head. Uh, I think, you know, it's about who's shooting them, but also, uh, you know, it, it is a mental thing. We, we talk about it on this podcast. We've talked about it to Ben. I'm sure he's mentioned it to his players and they know, I mean, it's not even close, you know, as far as the worst uh, free throw shooting team in the big 10 and they're one of the worst in the country. You know, there's 360 so uh, Division One teams now, and they're down near 360th in free throw percentage. So, again, you're not. It's not just one player. It's not two players. It's the entire team. I think they have a couple decent free throw shooters, but they just don't go to the line very much. And the guys that do, you know, they they it's in you know pressure situations. It's also in situations where uh, again, you're trying to get 
uh, stay competitive um, against some really good teams and it just gets away from them. But I remember this happening, you know, several years ago. Uh, I believe it was early in Richard Pitino's tenure where Andre Hollins was like a 90% free throw shooter. And then he just started yeah. missing a bunch of them and not just one game, but multiple games. And it was a mental thing. You know, we kept talking to him about like, man, mm-hmm. Andre, you know, you're such a good free throw shooter. What's going on now? So he's thinking about it in his head. And then he started bringing up about, you know, the different ball used on the road uh-huh. as opposed to home. You know? And, uh, you know, players think about that kind of stuff. And, and, and right now, it, you know, there's no question about it. It's in their head. And, uh, you know, the Gophers were lucky that Talon Cooper did hit that last free throw uh, with 1.7 seconds left, which pretty much, uh, you know, clinched that victory. Yeah, I was just looking it up while you were talking. They are 351 out of 352 among Division One teams at 59.3%. Only Brown at 58.3% is worse this year. And I think you're right. It's a combination of things always. It's you're right. It's who's shooting them. It's it's collective. It's it's, you know, when you miss some. <laughs> They're, they're, you're going you're gonna to miss some more, but I'm sure that's something they want to clean up as the year goes along and the, and the years go along. Um, now, if you're Ben Johnson, you've you got to be happy with some of the things you've seen in, in recent games and the, the competitiveness, the, the second half of Illinois notwithstanding. If you're him, though, what do you want to see more of the rest of this season and, and just kind of as you think about the kind of arc of this team going upward to the point where, you know, Next year, the year after that, we're, we're not talking about getting out of the bottom of the Big Ten. We're talking about, okay, this team is starting to round into shape as one that's more competitive consistently. Yeah, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself. You're talking about year four already. When, when I want to. I, I'm, I'm, already, when, I'm not talking about winning. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about winning um, the Big Ten championship. I'm talking about like getting some more good players in, working the portal, like, oh, yeah, whatever it sure. is that you want to see, whatever it is he wants to see. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, as far as this year, um, there was two ways uh, that he approached it. Um, before the two injuries uh, to possible starters in Isaiah Enon and Parker Fox, I, I felt like, and he did talk about it, that, hey, we're going to win now. Like, forget about, like, waiting and, you know, rebuilding. We want to win right now. When they okay. had the two injuries, um, he kind of scaled back a little bit and said, hey, you know what? Of course you want to win, but we're going to play a lot of young guys. And they're going to take some lumps early, and we might not win a lot of games early. But at the end of the season, toward the end of the season, they're going to be better for it. You know, they're going to be playing like sophomores, and we'll be more competitive, and we'll have something to build on for next year. Well, in between there, they had a five-game losing streak, and they had some winnable games at home, non-conference-wise, um, that they did not play the young players, uh, at least not all of them. So he kind of went against what he said in earlier in the year. And, you know, he was just trying to win. I mean, you, you yeah. lose five in a row, you know, and it's in, you know, this early December, mid-December. There are not a lot of fans in, this, in the seats. And, you know, if you lose to Chicago State or Arkansas Pine Bluff, you're really not going to see any. So I think that maybe there's a little pressure there to win. He started playing the veterans more. The young guys were kind of wondering, like, hey, I had a lot of playing time early. What's going on now? And so I think, you know, once they the calendar year turned to, 2023 kind of got a little bit more back to what original plan was after the injuries where we we have to play the young guys and they need to get better and then so you saw the wisconsin game you saw the nebraska game where there were young players uh contributing more playing more in crunch time 
And then all of a sudden it all came together versus Iowa State. You had young guys making plays. You had Dawson Garcia, you know, who's been very consistent lately. One of the better players in the Big Ten. He came and had his best game of his career. And so that's how they beat Ohio State. Now, moving forward, again, you have to have Dawson playing at a high level. You have to have the young guys contributing because you don't have anybody else, really. Um, and then, you know, I think a couple players um, need to come around a little bit more. Jameson Battle. Yeah. He's, he's dealt with some injuries early this year and, you know, kind of just figuring out his role as not maybe not the main guy with Dawson Garcia there. And then Talon Cooper, you know, he's a point guard who hit the free throw that really clinched the win versus Ohio State. He's had a lot of uh, decent offensive games lately. Um, but, you know, is he a point guard? Is he the off guard? You know, they don't really have much punch in the backcourt when it comes to scoring. So he's forced to score more. Um, so I think they need to kind of figure out their backcourt situation and then maybe have some young guys like Jaden Henley, a freshman from California, and Braden Carrington, uh, Minnesota ba- Mr. Basketball last year, kind of incorporate them more into into the mix. Um, so, I, you know, again, we're talking about the young players. We're talking about some veterans that have already established themselves but are still figuring it out this year with Jameson Battle. And I think when those two areas come together, uh, this team, you know, we're not going to see them maybe beat Ohio, the, the Ohio States of the world too much on the road. But you right. might be able to steal a, a game, you know, at home that you're not supposed to win or nobody picks you to win. And then, you, you know, you have to be able to beat teams like Nebraska, uh, Northwestern, Penn State, if you play them at home. So I think, you know, that's kind of what you're seeing moving forward is, um, you know, not only being competitive, but can you get some of these wins, especially at home, that that will help build for, for next year. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Marcus, a couple more things for you before we wrap up. One, I referenced this at the beginning, um, basketball across Minnesota has returned um, some good stuff so far. What, what are some of the stories that you've enjoyed telling so far and anything else that you're looking forward to getting to, you know, in the, you know, as we kind of get into the, the real, you know, February, March part of, you know, people really turn their attention to college basketball right now. Yeah. That's the beauty of uh, this uh, column is, you know, I get to talk about all levels, you know, I, there's college basketball. There's also some really good high school basketball going on in Minnesota. Um, A lot of talent on the boys and girls side. And there's, you know, some good coaching stories. Um, last week I did a story that was kind of off the beaten path about Dr. Dish. It's a shooting machine um, that oh, right. was developed here in Minnesota, um, you know, by Doug Campbell, uh, this, who's the CEO. And and he and his brother were in the in their garage um, figuring out how to build a, a, a volleyball uh, machine that, that allowed them to, to practice and, and, and get better for, uh, for some adult volleyball. And it turned into a basketball machine. So uh, years later, and now it's around the world. You know, it's in uh, internationally. The NBA teams, trainers use it. Um, you know, hundreds of, of Division One schools, including um, Duke in North Carolina, um, and then obviously the Gophers and St. Thomas and the Lynx and Timberwolves use it. So, okay, um, it was a pretty cool story to do. Um, I actually heard about Doctor Dish for a while, and I, I, I just assumed that it was some big national, you know, thing and outside of Minnesota. And when I found out it was based in Minnesota and created in Minnesota, it was a pretty neat story. And, yeah. um, you know, I, 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 I'm here in Stillwater and, and we had, there's a Dr. Dish machine here, you know, I'm like, Hey, you know, wow, these guys are Minnesota, uh, Minnesota, not natives, but they've been in Minnesota long enough like me where I kind of feel like I'm one of, 
I'm one of you. So one uh, of us. That, that was a neat story. Yeah, I'm one of us. And um, you know, there's been plenty. Um, you know, I, one of the ones that stand out before I, you know, move on to something else for you to end this thing. But uh, yeah, you know, there was a small college story. Um, you know, in, at Central College, um, and uh, you know, a coach who had been coaching for 20 years there and closing in on 500 wins. Um, you know, you know, he's he's from uh, Vietnam. Um, you know, so he came here and and uh, adopted um, you know a family and and ended up uh, you know becoming a legend. Um, you know, in Brainerd, coaching for uh, you know Central Lakes College and. And so I think those kind of stories, you know, you don't hear about because it's junior college basketball. I played junior college right. basketball, so I know nobody pays sure. attention to you. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh, but there are stories there. There's guys that, you know, have, get, have gotten a second, third chance. And um, I mean, you've seen it. Last Chance You, right, on Netflix. Um, right. Focuses on junior college basketball. So there's there's pretty cool stories there. Um, and I, I hope to continue to tell all kinds of stories. Uh including one with the Gopher basketball team coming up this week. Well, I like that feature a lot. Um, you get to shine a lot of different lights on a lot of different places. And the two you just mentioned, the Central Lake story and the Dr. Dish story, and certainly um, examples of that. One program that you know is getting a much brighter light shown on them lately. Maybe we can end with this. Um, you saw, I'm sure you saw earlier this week, Marcus, St. Thomas getting a $75 million gift um, to build. Yeah, I was there. A, I was there. Yeah. Yes, you were <laughs> to help uh, to help build a uh, basketball hockey facility. Jump starting that um, that program's got to be. Uh, I, I just I'm very I'm I know we don't know what's going to happen yet, but I'm just really interested in watching how that program rises and what that's going to mean for the the dynamics of college basketball in this state eventually, and you know not not too far down the road, right. Well, we talked about my column, Bam, and I. One of the stories I did earlier was uh, St. Thomas men's basketball, and how right. at the time uh, they started off the Summit League undefeated, um, and uh, you know they're winning a lot of a lot of home games. I think uh, they're undefeated at home right now, and uh, they they've already surpassed by uh, by several games uh, their win total from last year, which was their first year in Division One. So it's been a quick you know start for them. Um, and not, and, and it hasn't just been division three players. I did write in that story that they, they actually, um, got off to 11 win start and two wins in the summit league with four of their five stars, division three players from their previous tenure. Uh, but I think if you look at the squad, it, uh, as a whole, you see division one transfers, uh, you see uh, high level, uh, freshman talent. They had the number one recruiting class in the summit league last year, uh, Johnny Tower in the men's side, and they didn't even yeah. know that they were getting a new arena. So right. like I talked to one of the recruits, um, you know, at the announcement and he's, and I tell, I told him, I said, you know, at the time you didn't even know there was a new arena. So can you imagine the players that are co- going to come after you, uh, that will look at St. Thomas differently because, uh, they'll get a chance to not only play in the NSA tournament in 2025, 26, but they'll also have a new arena to play in. Um, yeah. So that's just a lot more recruiting that uh, the men's and the women's team has. You know, the women's side, they've been able to to bring back some Division One transfers from Minnesota and uh, kind of help that program compete a little bit more, too. They're a little bit uh, behind the men's program right now. But, you know, with this new arena to help them sell it, um, Coach Sin, uh, she has a successful 
uh, you know, tradition, uh, the winning tradition there in the past too. And I think that's important. You know, people try to compare them to the yeah. Gophers and, you know, I think they have their own niche um, and, and they'll say you can watch the Gophers and cheer for the Gophers and Tommy's basketball. At some point, though, it will become a rivalry because they'll be a lot more competitive and they might go after a couple of the same kids who want to stay home. Uh, sure. I would love to see that translate to some some fun games on the court. But uh, right now, I don't see that happening. I, I think the Gophers really don't see a, you know, any um, thing to gain by playing St. Thomas. And there's a lot to gain, obviously, from the St. Thomas side. But it's exciting to right. see where the program is going with the with the new facility. It absolutely is. It's just kind of a fun, fascinating story to watch something different for this market. Um, and we will cover it along the way. I'm sure Marcus will cover it. Uh, a lot during the way too, um, as well as Gopher stuff. You follow Marcus uh, from the per, from the Purdue game Thursday night and everything beyond that. Marcus, appreciate talking Gopher hoops as always, and we'll talk again soon. All right, it's always fun. Thanks. Good stuff from Marcus as always. Always love catching up with him on college basketball. He covers that so well. Not just the Gophers, and I always say that I think, but you know the whole state, the whole country. He's got that on um, on lockdown. He's really good at that, and so. Hope you read him often and uh, check his work out in the Star Tribune. Let's finish with the cooler. Like I said at the beginning, I found an interesting stat on Philippe Gustafsson. It came after he made that spectacular save with his skate blade the other night against uh, <clears throat> against Washington. Um, he's only allowed, you know, his goals against average is like 940 in his last 12 starts. He's 10-2, and two, save percentage. I'm sorry, the save percentage is 940. That would not be a good goals against average. Save percentage is 940. Goals against average is in the ones. Um, that is good. I'm glad I corrected myself there because that would be a, that would not be great. Um, what I found was interesting, a site called Natural Stat Trick, which I like to check out from time to time for kind of some deeper insights into hockey, especially goalies. The spectacular save the other night was nice, but what's been really good about Gustafsson lately is his attention to the shots that are more routine or more, you know, the, the steadiness of his play. He's only given up seven goals in those 12 games on what the site characterizes as low danger or medium danger shots. That's, that puts him into the top level of those categories, at least in that 12-game span. That is what is a fundamental key to being a goaltender for the Minnesota Wild, maybe across the league, but especially the Wild, which tries to limit your high danger chances, but expects its goalie to make those routine saves. Just by comparison, Marc-Andre Fleury in that same span of time, that's 15 games that he's played versus 12 from Gustafsson, but a relatively you know equal sample size. He's given up 18 goals on high or I'm sorry on medium danger or low danger shots in that span compared to seven for Gustafson. Now I'm not saying Gustafson's better than Flurry. I feel like there were kind of developing more of a 1A and 1B situation, at least for right now. Now, what I am saying is that that's a pretty big thing that Gustafson's got going for him right now. That's what's made him so good in this 12-game span. Not the, not the spectacular save, although the one the other night was spectacular. It is the steady saves that has been so good for him, and I did write about that on Wednesday if you want to read a little bit more about it. That will do it for today. Again, hope you enjoyed episode number 500. 501 coming up tomorrow. Just turning the page again. Megan Ryan covers the Twins for the Star Tribune. Will join me to talk about that wild offseason that they've had. Might engage her in some college hockey talk too because I believe Megan is going to cover some college hockey for us this weekend as well. Again, I'm Michael Rand. Thanks for joining me. We'll see you again on Friday.